Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Edmund O'Brien, starring in another adventure of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account, submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar... To the Great Columbian Life Insurance Company. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during the investigation of the circumstances surrounding the murder of your policyholder, Loyal B. Martin, or how to take a vacation in Fairfield County. Expense account item one. $3.20 mileage from Hartford, Connecticut to the country estate of the deceased. I drove up a long cement driveway toward the mausoleum-type manor house. There were rolling green lawns liberally sprinkled with statuary. And the thought occurred to me that if he had spent much of his life here, the late Mr. Martin was most fortunate. He'd feel right at home in a cemetery. Yes? My name is Dollar. I'm here to see Mrs. Martin. Oh, yes. Mrs. Martin. Uh-huh. I'm afraid I'll have to disappoint you. The widow has gone shopping the day after the death of her husband. Something attractive in morning clothes, I'm sure. Well, what time is she expected back? I have no idea. But it shouldn't be long. Do you uh, mind if I come in and wait? You'll forgive my asking, young man, but just what is your business here at Loyal Haven? I was sent here by the insurance company. Oh, why, yes. Well, then do come in. Uh, in here, right in here. Uh, I'm uh, Mrs. Tompkins, the housekeeper, Mr. Dollar. I was with Mr. Martin for over 30 years. He was a wonderful man. This furniture also looks like it might have been with Mr. Martin for over 30 years. Victorian, isn't it? Yes. Pure. 
loyal... Uh, Mr. Martin, that is, was an expert on the Victorian period. Uh, please sit down. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Dollar, I... I suppose you'll think it's indelicate of me at this time, but, uh, About Loyal's insurance, his policies... Uh, did they... Yes, uh, Mrs. Tompkins, uh, they did. One of his policies leaves you a nice, sizable amount. But before you start counting it, maybe you and I had better have a little understanding. Yes? Well, I'm not here to represent the payoff department. I'm here to investigate the murder. Oh, well, I see. Yes, before the company pays off, they want to make sure that among the beneficiaries, they don't pay off the murderer, because they, they really don't have to do that. Oh, I didn't realize... No, neither do a lot of people. You know, that's the way quite a few good murders are wasted. Yes, I suppose you're right. <clears throat> well, if that's what you're here for, I suppose you'll want to talk to the police. Lieutenant Marquardt is in the library. That's where it happened. Oh, the library, huh? Well, that might help. If I can't find any other answers, I can always try looking some up in a book. Which way do I go? The door, just across the hall. Thank you. And Waterhall. The only thing missing was old Queen Victoria herself. Even the musty odor clinging to the green velvet seemed to have been passed down through the centuries. There was a brace of moth-eaten pheasants on the wall and a bouquet of moth-eaten flowers under glass on a marble-top side table. The library was the same. But there were three things that looked out of place. A, an old suit of armor. B, a glass case filled with new, well-polished sporting rifles and shotguns. And C, a very gruff-looking lieutenant of the police who eyed me as I came in. And who are you? Oh, here. Here's my little breath saver. Oh, yeah, Johnny Dollar. They told me you'd be here. Well, I've told everybody else, I better tell you, don't touch anything. They want to re-fingerprint the whole room. Okay, okay. What'd you find, Lieutenant? Nothing but the cadaver with two bullet holes in his back. Haven't got a caliber report from ballistics yet. Have you an estimated time of departure? Yeah, the coroner says Martin died after dinner last night. Uh-huh. Anything to go on? Just the usual. Faith, hope, and suspicion. His wife, too young and too pretty for an ugly old buck like Martin, must have married him for his money. Then there's that housekeeper, Sarah Tompkins. Yeah, I met her on the way in. Well, she used to be the old man's intended, from what I can find out. Probably jealous of the young wife. Then there's the brother, Marty. He showed up a few weeks ago, broken brooding. Probably in love with the young wife. And then there's Nick Bellotti, a private detective who hired himself out as Martin's bodyguard. Bodyguard, huh? No doubt also in love with the young wife. Could be. Who's your choice? Except for the fact that there are only two bullets, I think they all did it. The nose through which Lieutenant Marquardt talked was a long one. And in more ways than one, a horn of plenty. For out of it had poured enough motives and suspects to furnish a dozen murders. I started through this cast of characters and found that all of them had very little to say and didn't want to say it. The first I dug up was the bodyguard, my brother investigator, Nick Pilati, as he returned from a horseback ride. Glad to have you on the case, Dollar. The police have tied my hands. They told me to stay out of it, but to stick around. Have you got any ideas? Everybody seems to think it was an inside job, that somebody in the household did it. I'm not so sure. The reason I was around was because old man Martin made too many dollars and too many enemies doing it. But that's only my opinion. Why don't you talk to the old boy's younger brother, Marty? 
I found Marty living the life of Riley. He was upstairs in his room, cuddled up to a 20-year-old bottle of brandy, which was still underage to be around a, the kind of book he was reading. Yeah, I'll tell you something, Dollar. My brother and I never did get along. Yeah, you'd find that out anyway. Why'd you come back here, Marty? Because Loyal's little bride, Joy Ann, sent for me. She was afraid of him, and she didn't know if he was on to her. Was he? <laughs> About that, you'll have to talk to Joy Ann. Joy Ann didn't get home until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I caught up with her 20 minutes later as she came dripping out of the swimming pool. The suit she was wearing would have gotten her pinched on the Riviera. Oh, that was refreshing. Well, it certainly is. Oh, toss me that towel, will you? Yeah, surely. Here, Mrs. Martin. Uh, Joy Ann, I hate formality. Who are you? Well, I'm from the insurance company, here to find out whether you killed your husband or not. Oh, good for you, Mr. Dollar. That's what I like. Men who get right down to the point. I was told you were here. Oh? Nobody told me about you. Oh, come on over and learn. I want to stretch out here in the sun. Here. You man the fly swatter. Okay. Come on, sit down. Here beside me. If it gets too warm, slip off your shirt. Oh, thank you. Well, suppose we start talking business. Marty tells me you sent for him to come here because you were afraid of your husband. How come? Well, I knew Marty before I knew Loyal. As a matter of fact, he's the one who introduced me to. What do you call a dead husband? You call him unlucky, I guess. Anyway, for the purposes of this conversation, I'll know who you mean if you just say husband. But you didn't answer my question. I meant, were you afraid of your spouse? And if so, why? Yes, I was afraid of him. Oh, I might as well tell you, Mr. Dollar. I want to be frank with you. The only thing Loyal didn't have to offer me was love. I seem to be a girl who needs just that. Frankly, I... I tried to make up the deficit. Mrs. Tompkins, a housekeeper, saw to it that my husband found out about it. From then on, it was like living with a madman. So endeth my confession. So beginneth my suspicions. What about this housekeeper? Until I came along, she always thought that Loyal would wind up marrying her. Oh, don't get me wrong. I realize that I'm still the best jury bait around. If you killed him, you might make some headway with a self-defense plea. Thanks. I remember that. In the meantime, just in case this thing gets messy for me, and it shows signs, I'm going to spend what's left of my free time enjoying myself. Well, that won't sound good to a jury, but it sounds good to me. If I spend too much time around here, I might wind up having to plead self-defense myself. Oh? From me? No. From that bathing suit. I spent the rest of the afternoon trying to keep two eyes on four people, reading from left to right. Brother Marty stayed in his room, finishing his book and his brandy. Nick Bellotti, the bodyguard with no body to guard, got back on his horse and cantered off into the sunset. The joyous widow, Joy Ann, locked herself in her room, and all I could get through the keyhole was the sound of a light and lovely snore. I couldn't tell whether it was the genuine article or not. Having no way of checking, I picked up the trail of Sarah Tompkins, the housekeeper. She, at least, was apparently up to no good. I found her in the library doing just what Lieutenant Mark would have told her not to do. 
smearing the surfaces of Mr. Martin's desk with a dust rag. And as anybody knows, you can't fingerprint a dust rag. Hey, cut it out! Martin's private study. Those are the police private fingerprints you're messing up. I was doing nothing of the sort. I was dusting his desk. I always do it at this time of day. Get out of here. You don't belong in here. Keep your wig on, Mrs. Tompkins. I'll not be told what to do by outsiders. Everything was all right until outsiders started coming in. If it wasn't for outsiders, Loyal would still be alive. First that girl, then his brother and that detective. Now it's the police and you. Why did any of you have to come here? Why couldn't you leave us alone? Now, <laughs> oh, calm down, Mrs. Tompkins. Try to calm down. Yeah, now, what's going on in here? What? Oh, and what are you two lovebirds up to? It's all right, Lieutenant. I'll tell you about it later. All right, but get her out of here. I've got some looking to do privately. Take her down to her room and then come back. You mean you got something hot? It ain't cold. Okay, Mrs. Tompkins, come on. <laughs> but I haven't finished in there. Come on, you can get it later. There's just time for you to take a little rest before dinner. Oh, but I never rest this time of day. He didn't like me to. Mrs. Tompkins, come on, tell me. Really, why were you wiping off that desk? Those police this morning. Scattered white powder all over his desk. He would have been furious with me. He hated any kind of... <laughs> The shots had come from the library, and that's where I went, but not fast enough. By the time I got there, Lieutenant Markwood was dead, and whoever had done the shooting was gone, apparently through an open window. Markwood still clutched the shotgun he'd grabbed out of the gun case, but hadn't had a chance to use. Two things had just died in that room, the lieutenant and the hot piece of evidence he'd never had the chance to pass on to me. just a moment, we return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, the cream of the wit and the best of the music, which Arthur Godfrey brings you in the daytime on CBS, can now be heard on Godfrey's Digest, a new Saturday evening show heard on most of these same CBS stations. Listen tomorrow night and hear the week's fastest flashes of the Godfrey humor, the top song sung by Jeanette Davis and Bill Lawrence, the finest singing of the Mariners, Arthur Godfrey's Digest, and the Goldbergs are the latest addition to CBS's Great Saturday Nights. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Hey, what happened? Oh, Markwood. Yeah, he's dead. Oh, what are you doing, Sala? I'm looking for what there seems to be a shortage of around here, Bellotti. Clues. You don't mind where you look, do you? Rule number one, don't get caught frisking dead cops. Forget about it, Bellotti, will you? Maybe I can suffer from lapse of memory for you sometime. That's a deal. Got any idea what you're looking for? No. But whatever it was, it was important enough to get him killed. I'd hope maybe there'd be something in his notebook, for instance. Any luck? Well, very little. It's a brand new book, only one notation in it. Here it is. Check tattooing diameter. Recheck penetration. What do you make of that? It's too scientific for me. I'm a skip case and divorce type detective myself. All I know is you'd better put that book back in his pocket and leave it there. Yeah, I guess you're right. A nice timing, Bellotti. And remember, thanks for the loss of memory. Forget it. Hey, what happened? What's going on here? Oh, good here? Lord. Lieutenant Markwood. Who did it? 
Dealer's choice. So far, the dealer's the only one who knows. First, my brother. Now, Lieutenant Markwood. There'll be real trouble about this. Johnny, shall I call the police? Drop the innocent access for in law. I'll call them. No, maybe I better do it, Marty. If everybody will stop pleading not guilty by wanting to call the police, I'd like to get a word in. The police have already been called. Now, if you'll get out of here, I'd like to try earning my salary. If I had had longer ears and more soulful eyes, I would have been all bloodhound because I could sniff out the first of the trail. The smell of cordite told me that Lieutenant Markwood's killer and I'd have been inside the room when he fired or just outside with the weapon pointed through the still open window. Outside, the grass formed a deep, wet rug right up to the house and smothered any immediate hopes I'd had of finding footsteps. But ten feet away, I had better luck. A ray of light from inside spotlighted something that looked like it might be a star witness. It was a 32 caliber revolver. I scooped it up with my handkerchief and went back through the open window to look it over. Under the light, I checked six empty chambers and a crimson smear on the walnut grip. If somebody was feeding me a herring, it sure was red. But it wasn't blood. It was lipstick. like to introduce myself, Dollar. I'm Sergeant Norn McDougal. How are you, Sergeant? Ah, poor Markwood. Thank the Lord he didn't have any wife and kids. I'm glad to hear that. Cops usually do. Well, there's one good thing about it. When a police officer goes, there's plenty of them that lives on to fight back. All the police in the world. You can throw in the private ones, too, Sergeant. Thanks, Dollar. And now, maybe I'd better take your statement. Well, it won't take long. I heard the shots from the hallway, and I came back. He was killed either from inside the room or just outside the window. I didn't get a look at the killer, but I found what might be the murder gun. Here it is. Uh, watch that handkerchief. Hmm. Thirty-two caliber. Yeah, how does that match up with the gun that killed old man Martin, do you know? Same caliber. Uh-huh. Huh. I wonder what he was doing with his shotgun. It ain't loaded, and Markwood knew better than to wave an unloaded gun in the face of a full one. Did you get anything else out of ballistics, Sergeant? Uh, headache. Dollar, what we got from ballistics don't add up with what we got from autopsy. Well, how's that? Those two slugs ended Martin's body an inch and a half apart. But, according to the shallow penetration, they were fired from a distance of 300 yards. Now, do you know anybody who could do that kind of shooting with a thirty-two? Well, that's pretty fancy shooting. Could it have been done with a stationary mount? Oh, not a chance. The body would have started falling after the first shot. And you can't re-aim a stationary mount that fast. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, I didn't have a chance to spend much time with Markwood before he got it, so I, I don't have much to work on. Have you got anything to spare? Just a lot of routine confusion so far. You know yourself, Dollar. You take four witnesses, you're bound to get at least two different stories. Uh, two of the people that heard the shooting when Martin got killed last night said they heard two shots. The other two ear witnesses said they heard one. The only thing the whole four agree on is that they didn't see anything. Well, that sounds familiar. Thanks anyway, Sergeant. Sure, anytime. Hey, Sam. Yeah? Take this gun into town. Tell ballistics to run it through for fingerprints and check it against those slugs in the Martin case. I want to report right away. I hitched the ride with that gun into the ballistics department. While waiting for the test to be made, I asked some questions and I came up with a real brain buster. Despite the fact that the penetration report said that Martin had been shot from a distance of 300 yards, 
His skin and clothing had been tattooed with powder, indicating the shots had been fired at close range. The tree that little puzzler put me up would have made the giant redwood forest look like a hedge. Then they gave me the ballistic report. The lands and grooves scored into the slugs by the revolver barrel proved that both Loyal Martin and Lieutenant Markwood had been killed by the 32 caliber gun I'd picked up in the yard. No prints on it. Registered owner, the young lady who looked much better in a bathing suit than she'd ever look in the electric chair. The widow, Joy Ann Martin. The Hartford Horseshoe, a dollar, I want to talk to you. Oh, I'll be with you in a second. I'm just out of the shower. Okay. First she was in the pool, now it's the shower. She's also in plenty of hot water. Hi. Don't pay any attention to my hair. Hmm. Don't worry, I won't. I suppose you think it's a silly time of night for me to be taking a shower, but I thought it might help me to get to sleep. Well, I'm afraid I won't. Why, Johnny. You, uh... You were pretty careless with that gun, weren't you? What gun? Oh, that handy little thirty-two caliber gun with a handy little registration number engraved on it that told the nasty old police that you bought it six weeks ago. Oh, well, my gun's right here in the drawer. I bought it to protect myself from my husband. Here it is. Oh, Johnny. It's real gone. It's done gone and killed two men so far. And if you can't do some fast talking and some fast proving, it stands a good chance of shortening your pretty little life expectancy. Somebody must have stolen it. Oh, no. That's not even a down payment on a story. Oh, but, Johnny, there's a whole house full of people who could have done it. Not only that, they'd, they'd be glad to get me out of the way if they could. Why? Well, Mrs. Thompson, because she hates me. Loyal's brother, Marty, because I stand to inherit everything. What about Nick Bellotti? Doesn't he have an axe to grind? I don't know what it could be. Okay, skip it. Tell me, you remember hearing two shots being fired around here any time before your husband was killed? Probably away from the house? Why do you ask that? Because I want to know, did you? You amaze me. Yes, I did hear two shots. The day before Loyal was killed. I was... Horseback riding down by the walnut grove. I remember because my horse shied. Well, this is coming a bit too readily to be readily believed. But how big is that walnut grove? Not very big. Yeah? Can you spot those shots a, a little closer? They sounded as if they came from about the middle. I, I didn't stay to find out. I guess I frightened easily. Yeah. Yeah, you frightened me easily. Why, Johnny? Why? I'll tell you why. Because whether you shot anybody or not, you're a murder, baby. Oh, Johnny. I didn't kill them. Got to believe me, Johnny. Mm-mm. I don't have to. But just for a minute, I will. What is there about police drivers? Even out in the country, they got to lay on those sirens. Johnny, please. Come on, you better get dressed, sweetheart. I told them I'd keep you occupied till they got here. Why, you... 
The police took Joanne and her hurt feelings off to the pokey. I took myself and my hurt cheek off to bed. The next thing I had to do had to be done by daylight. So I took over Joanne's painfully empty and prettily perfumed sack, set the alarm for dawn, and snored up a storm. I never knew before how much went on in the country so early in the morning. On the way to the walnut grove, the damp air washed the cobwebs out of my head, and I started thinking. Now, first, Royal Martin had been found dead with two bullet holes in him, yet two of the witnesses, Joy Ann and the housekeeper, Mrs. Tompkins, had heard only one shot. Second, that powder burn tattooing on the body, denoting a close-range killing, was in violent argument with a bullet penetration report which screamed long-range killing. Those facts added to what was in Lieutenant Markwood's notebook, plus that shotgun clutched in his dead hand, came close to tallying up the total that had cost him his life. Inside the grove, I found four walnut trees with hollows in their trunks. The first one gave me a handful of nuts and a fancy sassing by an irate squirrel. The second one came up with a handful of spunk water and a wet cuff. And the third, I found what I was looking for. I found about two pecks of clean cotton waste. That is, clean, except for some powder burn. Everything was falling into place, including a blunt instrument which hit me on the head from behind. But before I hit the ground, I saw Brother Marty Martin legging it back towards the house. I made it up the house and into, up the hill and onto the trail. And was just starting up the stairs when I heard another out-of-season 4th of July. Okay, Bella. I got him. Yeah. Yeah. So I see. It was self-defense. I had to do it. I hated to butt in on your case, but all of a sudden everything stacked up and I knew he was your man. When I threw it in his teeth, he made a try for his gun, so I dropped him. You sure did, Bellotti. Well, I owe you a lot of thanks. But if you don't mind, I'll take over from here. Sure, help yourself. Good. And uh, I think the first thing you'd better do is hightail it into town, get your story filed with the police. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're all straight now, so you can back me up. 100%, Nick, all the way. Now get going. Come on. Uh, okay, Dollar. See you later. <laughs> Sergeant Norrin McDougal. Yes, sir. Sergeant McDougal. Johnny Dollar, Sergeant. Oh, yeah, Dollar. Uh, what's new? Well, just another corpse. And in just about 15 minutes, the guy who made it one and conspired on the other two killings is going to walk right into your arms through the station house door. What? Who is it? Nick Bellotti, New York private license. He just shot his partner in this thing, Marty Martin. You're crazy. What about this girl? It was her gun. That was their fondest hope, Sergeant, to pin it on her. They borrowed her gun, fired two slugs from it into some cotton waste, then took the slugs and stuck them in a shotgun shell. One shot, just like both ladies said they heard. The shotgun Lieutenant Markwood was looking at when he died was really the Martin murder weapon. Powder burns and the shallow penetration, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Dollar. I'll be waiting for him. Hey, wait a minute. 
What's he walking in here for under his own power? To tell you an early morning bedtime story, just before you go off duty. He'll give you a pitch about a self-defense killing. It's a lie. The victim wasn't carrying a gun. If he had been, he would have used it on me. But he didn't. He used a sap. The sap? Expense account, item two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Six hundred and twenty-four dollars entertainment. Appeasing a rich widow with rich taste. Expense account, items one through thirteen inclusive. $160 entertainment of poor insurance investigators with extravagant taste. Expense account item 14, $7.80 mileage, New York to Hartford. You may disagree with that item, claiming that I finished the case in Fairfield County. But I didn't finish the case until I left her. And New York City is where I left her. Expense account total... $823. Signed, yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in the Harry M. Popkin United Artists production, D.O.A. Featured in our cast were Irene Tedrow, Walter Burke, Ted DeCorsia, John Daner, Gene Bates, and Ed Begley. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us again next week when Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Ladies and gentlemen, CBS invites you to hear Senator Brian McMahon on the Capitol cloakroom over most of these same Columbia stations tomorrow night. Senator McMahon is chairman of the Joint Congressional Committee on Atomic Energy. And when he's interviewed by CBS newsmen Eric Severide, Bill Shadell, and Griffin Bancroft, this will be the first detailed discussion of the hydrogen bomb and its implications. Remember the first discussion by a high government official since President Truman's historic announcement earlier this week. Remember that CBS's Capitol Cloakroom, tomorrow night at 10.30 p.m., over most of these same CBS stations. Be sure and be listening. This is CBS, where, incidentally, Arthur Godfrey's digestive wit and humor is also heard every Saturday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Time now for Edmund O'Brien as yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Edmund O'Brien in another of the adventures of the man with an action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar.
expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Intercontinental Marine Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my assignment aboard the SS Melee Trader, the ship with no port of call. Expense account, item one, $80. Transportation from Hartford to Savannah, Georgia, where, after pausing only to grow a beard and deck myself out in seaman's garb, I proceeded to the local hiring hall of the Seaman's Union. on the melee trader. Ordinary seaman, special permit. Special, huh? Well, let me see now. Oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Insurance deck, huh? Well, I'm glad to cooperate, daughter. Thanks. Where do I find the ship? Pier 8. The directions will all be here on your assignment slip. Uh, what's the beef? A hot cargo? Oh, maybe. When I find out, you can read about it in the paper. Okay, so you're not talking. That's your business. Here's your slip. Now, uh, the best way to get there is to follow the railroad tracks past the warehouses right across the street. My new home, when I found her, looked neither pretentious, comfortable, or even seaworthy. She was a rusty old Liberty ship that probably had a war record, but hadn't had a coat of paint in months. Her winches, fore and aft, were busy feeding heavy rattan-covered bales into her gaping holes. Her decks were alive with longshoremen, and set against all that activity, a bulky gent wearing an officer's cap lolled on a stool near the head of the gangway, idling time with fingernails and a penknife. Yeah? What's your business? I'm signing on. Where do I find the chief officer? You found him. I'm all set. Let me see you, slip. Okay, darling. You're on the uh, 48 watch, quarters of 3A. Just past the galley, then half starboard side. Cut up your dear. You can sign later. Right. So far, the spy story method seemed to be working. I was aboard the ship as a seaman, and a few seconds later, I was shaking hands with a man who shared my quarters, Al Rhoda, on a salary for four years. Intercontinental's Marine Investigator. Johnny. Hi, Al. Hey, it's been a long time. How are you? I'm fine, fine. It's good to be working a case with you again. Hey, uh, is it all right to talk in here? Yeah, yeah, but let's keep it down. I've been on this tub since it left Singapore, and nobody's on to me yet. But play it cagey on deck. How much did they tell you in jolly old Hartford? Well, they gave me just the basic situation, that uh, that Intercontinental insured a bunch of crude rubber from British Malays before the devaluation of the British pound sterling. Half that, I understand, burned in a warehouse in Singapore. I bet, to the tune of over 100,000 insurance bucks. I flew out there. Signs of arson, but no proof. 
I follow the other half of the crop here to Savannah. Hey, uh, this company that owns it, they lay traders. Kind of an outfit, is it? They aren't angels. Been up against British customs a few times. Never nailed. They own their ships, and the branch here, headed by a Mr. Peeler, imports basic commodities, like the rubber and minerals. Mm-hmm. Well, the point is that since this crude was insured before the British pound dropped, they can bring in more loot destroying it than they can selling it. Yeah, I guess that totals. And I take it the policy covers until they do sell, huh? That's it. I thought we were getting rid of it here. They packed it away in their warehouse. But then three days ago, they started loading it aboard again. That's why you were sent down. What's the matter, Al? Don't you think the company trusts you? <laughs> uh, I guess they figure I need help. And they're right. Where do you think we're bound, Johnny? Well, my paper's at Corpus Christi. The scuttlebutt is that Corpus is just a stop. That we clear there for Mexico, Veracruz where arson investigation isn't what it could be. After that operation in Singapore, what else would they Hold be... Hold it. Lo- Hold it. Hello. You in there? Yeah? Hold staff. Ship's articles are in the company office, corner of the warehouse. Go ashore and sign them. Yeah, okay, right away. Uh, sir? <laughs> nice try, sailor. Oh, and uh, if you'll take a word of fatherly advice... Well, practically anything you say, go ahead. That that girl in the office, the Malayan half-caste, she's the boss's daughter. Ah, my. Ah, my. Is that for appreciation, or is it her name? Both. But save your dreams. The chief, our friend Hallstaff, is as possessive as he's big. And you know something? I don't blame him. I didn't blame Horstaff either, after I saw Armai. You could tell she had enough accidental know-how to be proud of what the Oriental did to her look. Armai, indeed. Good afternoon. Hello. I'm here to sign the articles. I'm the melee trader. Oh, what please is your name? Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Dollar? Are you a very thrifty man, Mr. Dollar? Well, Hardly. My name is usually the only one I have to my name. Uh, your signature right here. I wish I were sailing with you. What? What did you say? That I wish I were sailing with you. I have begged with my father. But he will not let me go with him. Oh. Your father's going with us, huh? I didn't know that. I will beg some more. Uh, once again, please, your name right here. Oh. You have nice Mr. Dollar. Nice hands? Now, why'd you say that? I see so many hands here on my desk. So I notice them. Some are big and lumpy. Some are short. Some are dirty. And in steward's department, some are clean from dishwashing, but all wrinkly. I see. Well, I'd better get back to the ship. Thanks. Thank you. We hope that conditions during your voyage will meet with your approval and that you will accept employment with melee traders again. And with those memorized words ringing in my ear, I thanked the luscious Amai again and proceeded shipward to take up my duties as a very ordinary seaman. I hoped that her interest in my landlubber hands 
really stemmed from her unusual hobby and not from suspicion. And I wondered why Mr. Peeler, her father, and the local head of the suspect company had decided to go with us. Had his doctor ordered a sea voyage for his health? Or did he want to enjoy in person the odor of burning rubber? The next afternoon, the cargo had all been brought aboard. The ship was made ready for sea. And I had sustained, along with multiple cuts and bruises, the ire of the bosun, because I didn't know the difference between a preventer and a topping lift. But by the time night fell and the melee trader was plunging down the Atlantic coast, I knew one thing. The sailor's life is not for me. How'd you make out, Al? Well, nothing new. Scuttlebutt is still Veracruz, but... Mm -hmm. There's something screwy about it, Johnny. You develop a nose after you've snooped as many ships as I have. There's something wrong aboard. What? Besides my seamanship. The old man? Yeah, a lot of little things. Of course, we're on for Florida Straits. The readings on the ballast gauges. Of course, the displacement ratio changes with different oceans and water temperatures. Look, look, Al. That's, that's all Greek to me. Ballast gauges, displacement ratio. Just what are these things that are bothering you? Well, I don't know. Just vague things that... Look, come out on the foredeck with me, will you? Yeah, sure. Probably just this overactive nose of mine, but... I want to get a look in one of these holes. Now, there's a hand standing. Look out. And if you'll go up there and keep his attention, I'll slip into the escape hatch of number two. All I'll need is about ten minutes... I'll meet you in the cabin. I made small talk with the lookout for ten minutes, then started back towards the cabin. Suddenly, I heard a scuffle behind me. Hey, Al, is that you? Then I heard someone running, and I started after the disappearing figure. But I didn't get very far. I stumbled over Al Rhoda's body by the open hatch. And there was a stab wound in the back of his neck, just at the top of the spine. It was small enough to have been left there by a penknife. I didn't report to the chief mate or the captain. I went over both their heads and I pounded on the door of the owner, Mr. Peeler. Mr. Peeler? Yes, yes, yes. One moment. Uh, what is this? Uh, what does this mean? There's been a killing down on deck. What? What do you say? Killing? My watchmate, Al Rhoda. But this I will not believe. The captain or Mr. Hulstaff, where are they? Why do you come to me? Because because I think a request from you is in order. I think Sparks ought to radio the Coast Guard. The sooner the better. But the killing on my ship. Uh, to believe this from you. No, no, I do not. Uh, what is that? Man overboard, Mr. Peeler. A murder has just been turned into an accident. In just a moment, we return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, 
Kitty Callan will join Vaughn Monroe's caravan along most of these same CBS stations this Saturday night. And on the CBS Gene Autry Show, the King of the Cowboys will bring you Ramona, When the Bloom is on the Sage, and many another Western favorite. The Vaughn Monroe Caravan and the Gene Autry Show are heard every Saturday night. Hear them tomorrow night in an hour of Top Pops and Sagebrush Symphonies. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Mr. Horstaff, you please come here, Mr. Horstaff. Yes, sir. Mr. Horstaff, there has been trouble? Yes, sir. One of the crew fell overboard, sir. Uh, then talk with this young man. Uh, he speaks of killing. Killing? Now, oh, it's you, Dollar. What's this guff about killing? Al Rhoda. He was stabbed in the back of the neck with a small knife. This man is either drunk or crazy, Mr. Peeler. Yes, Monsieur Denis. I just stepped out on deck to check the running lights before I turned in. Saw the man leaning over the rail. He was sick. The ship rolled and he went over. Have it your way. I guess that was a life jacket I stumbled over, huh? What are you doing about the man overboard? I'll thank you to remember your place on this ship. I do, but I also remember Al Rhoda. Doing what's prescribed by maritime law. I'm changing my course to circle and search the area. Yeah, how about the Coast Guard? They'll be notified in due time. I'll either go to your quarters or get forward with the rest of the crew and look for this guy you're so worried about. Where are you going? The radio room. Even I know the Coast Guard gets first bid. You listen to me, Dollar. I'll have you up before a commission board and you'll never ship again if you don't obey my order. And the boilers. You better get to your lifeboat station, Mr. Peeler. Every time an explosion lifted the melee trader up off the water, it lifted my stomach up with it. My heart must have been pounding, too, because I felt it high in my throat. And feeling that big, seagoing box of steel plates and bolts shuddering up my feet, painted sweat on my forehead and big, sticky splashes of real fear on my soul. This would be getting dead the hard way. Finally, the quivering of the ship came to a stop, calming down my own vibrations as it faded. Then the tub started to lift, giving me a new reason for keeping my mind off of taking a cut at Hallstaff with the closest fire axe. The crew got panicky as a bunch of kids in a burning school. And while they fumbled with the lifeboats, I took a last running look at number two holes. There were still bloodstains on the deck where I'd found Rhoda. And next to them, besides the open hatch... I found something that Hallstaff hadn't realized he'd lost or hadn't had time to look for. His penknife, pearl shell handle, with an anchor on Boston silver. I pulled back the top further, moved a few of the sectional hatch covers, and got a look into the hole. There was enough light to see the cargo, and enough smoke curled out to tell me the explosion had not been in the boiler. Yeah, I had a fine case. Except it was going down under my feet. And I'd end up with everything but proof.
It was shortly after dawn when the melee trader finally settled by the bow and went into a final plunge. Everybody in the lifeboat turned and watched her go. The water quieted over her. The only traces left were the hatch covers I'd pulled loose. Ship's articles, you remember? Dollar. Oh, yes. But this newspaper, it says you're missing from shipwreck. Yeah. A guy would have to be stupid or dead to be lost on a sinking like that. Everything was too convenient. Plenty of time to get the boats lost. Only four miles from shore. The paper say that... Yeah, they reported me missing because I didn't take time to report myself among the living. You see, I couldn't wait to get back to Savannah, get back to you and... The king-size scheme cooked up in this office. Now, I'm not promising anything, but a quick signed statement might help you. I'll write it and you sign it. You talk about a scheme? What statement is this? Oh, come on, stop it. Look, use the old sex pitch. Try to sell me that it'll be worth my while, but, but don't try to sell me innocent. Mr. Darling, you think I know about something. Please. Tell me what it is. Look, if you're bluffing, you can quit. I know that explosion on the ship was staged. Now, the next step is to try to collect the insurance on the rubber that was lost. And that's the step I'm supposed to start. Here. Here's my ID. Oh, I'm very sorry. I not understand. You are a police? Yeah, in a way. In a way, I'm the police. And the real ones aren't far behind me. And you do not lie to me. Look, I wouldn't have any reason to. Is this true? I knew nothing about it. I, too, do not lie. Well, Why did you think your father was taking this trip? I did not question. Neil told me he had a business in Corpus Christi. Well, then Hallstaff lied to you. The newspapers will tell you why your father took the trip. Here, look at this. Importer and fleet owner narrowly escapes death and explosion aboard his own ship. Now, who'd think of scuttling with the aged owner taking the risk himself, huh? Darling, it's very difficult when in a few minutes two men you love become suddenly criminals. I am only daughter. I not question my father. If he did this thing, he did it with reason. Now, what would you have me to do? First, stop looking at me as if I started it all. I'm sorry. Honestly, I am. <laughs> it was clear to me now that she wasn't lying. To hide my embarrassment, I read through the newspaper accounts of the sinking again while she recovered herself. There were air photographs of the huge oil slick the sinking ship had left on the surface. The only reminder now that the hatch covers had drifted away. The lack of wreckage was mentioned in the stories. And I remembered Al Rhoda worrying about ballast and displacement. 
I looked up the number of a local chemist and I made a phone call. Hello? Listen, Doc. This may sound like a silly question, but it could be important. Does crude rubber float? Crude rubber? Do you mean perhaps latex? Yeah, whatever you call it. The way it comes into the country, wrapped in rattan, will it float? I think. Uh, it decreases as the temperature rises. You see, normally, specific gravity is a little less than that of water. Yeah. It would float. Yeah, it floats. In the hold of a sunken ship, with a hatch partly open, it would force its way out and come to the surface? Yeah, it floats. Yeah, but it didn't. Thanks. Am I? How many warehouses does melee traders have here in Savannah? Here on the waterfront, huh? Was anything moved out of them last night? After the ship left? No. Nothing was moved. Mr. Dollar, what does this mean? Am I? I want you to wait here in the office for your father. When he comes, I want you to tell him that I'll be waiting for him in one of the warehouses and that I know the truth. trader warehouses were closed for the day, but my foot and a window opened them. Both were stacked high with imported goods, and I picked my way through everything from leachy nuts to ivory back scratches. In the second one, hidden behind a wall of carton Ceylon tea, I found what I was looking for. They were unlabeled wood crates. I opened one, and the resilient mass inside was crude rubber, still on dry land and still insured. All right, Dollar, hold it. Hold what, Holstaff? There's nothing left to hold. What do you mean by that? That for me, everything is finished, wound up. Time for the law. Unless you can make another switch with that rubber before they get here. You mean that rubber in the crate? Yeah. Been here for over a year. Ah, oh, come on. Let's not waste time. You and Pila and I know there wasn't any rubber in number two holes. You saved it to sell after you got paid off for losing it. But I'll let the experts prove it. What experts? Oh, they got all kinds. You know, one group is going to nail you for murder. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> That's very funny. So is a penknife a funny murder weapon. But I found one on the melee trader on the deck near number two holes. You've got a penknife, huh? Yeah. With a pearl handle and a silver anchor on it. You know, I guess at least a hundred seamen would testify under oath that it's yours. I know I will. I only wish I could be 15 people when you hit the courtroom. The jury, the prosecuting attorney, the star witness, and the sentencing judge. Well, you won't see me in a courtroom. How do they execute down here, huh? Gallows, electric chair, gas chamber, what? Come on, tell me. Or do I have to look it up? They'll have to have more than they've got. Uh-uh. They got plenty. All they have to do is match up the weapon with the wound. Look, Dollar, I don't scare easy. I could make a confession. And it still wouldn't hold without a body. What do you mean, without a body? They gotta have a body. Anyone knows that. You're getting ahead of yourself, Holstaff. Did I say they didn't have a body? Huh? 
You think those Coast Guard helicopter and blimp crews are blind? Keep going, darling. You think a guy who's been a Marine investigator as long as Al Rhoda had went around without figuring how to do his job even after he was dead? What are you talking about? What do you think he wore around his middle? A money belt or a life belt that would keep him afloat? You're a stupid holster. Give me the knife, darling. It's not only a knife. It's Exhibit A. And the prosecution will want it. Give me the knife, Dollar. I'll kill you if I have to. You don't want to shoot me, Horstaff. How do you know I've got the knife with me? How do you know I haven't left it someplace with a note to the police? Stand still. Now get your hands off to the side. Now hold on there. All right, now keep your hands still. Now just turn around. Don't move. It wasn't time for Queensbury rules. He was close to me, and I used my feet. The first one landed on his shin. And the same movement, I fell forward on my hands and kicked out with both hands. into the solar plexus would have stopped an ordinary man. And after I gave him a couple more, the big chief mate turned into just that, an ordinary man. I turned Hallstaff over to the police along with the murder weapon and the results of my bluff. They took it from there to a confession. Mr. Pilo was cleared of responsibility for Al Rhoda's murder, but now being held on conspiracy to defraud. I hope since the policy on the remaining cargo of rubber can now be canceled, Intercontinental is minimizing the monetary loss in Singapore. To you, the loss is a little more than $100,000 and an operative. I have lost a friend. Expense account item two, $63. Getting my foot on a bar and my chin off my chest while waiting for a train to take me out of Savannah. Item three, $80. Transportation Savannah to Huff. Item four, $10. Public stenographer who took the dictation on this expense account. Item five, entertainment. Same public stenographer who spent the evening proving that socially she didn't take dictation. Also that she was no good at making me forget what I want so badly to forget. The face of Al Rhoda. Expense account total? Ah, skip it. This one is on me. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd with music by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in Harry M. Popkins' United Artists production, D.O.A. Featured in our cast were Lillian Bias, Barton Yarborough, William Conrad, Elliot Reed, and Robert Griffin. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join 
us again next week when Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The Case of the Oblivious Angels, a true story of manhunt in Tennessee and Georgia, is to be dramatized on Gangbusters this Saturday night. The story will have narration by the chief of police who directed the successful search for the bandits. So for a half hour of real adventure, as experienced by our forces combating crime, listen in this Saturday on most of these same CBS network stations to Gangbusters' story, The Case of the Oblivious Angels. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, where yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets adventure every Friday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.